So I thought these last few weeks, and at least one more week, um, God willing, I was going to talk about why we should have church in the home. And I, and I have, but it, it turns out that the, the conversation has been about fruitfulness and devotion and mission and really like focusing my heart, hopefully all your hearts, on why is it we do any of this? Why do we need meetings in our homes when we can come to church on Sunday? You'll tell us, you know, what Jesus says, and you know, we'll read our Bibles a little bit or a lot or whatever, and you know, and we got lots of other stuff going on. Why in the world do we need to meet in the house? Now, I'm just anticipating your pushback, right? Nobody ever says stuff to me, but I always have this mindset: okay, I have to be able to defend this. I have to be able to defend this. I have to be able to defend this. Typically, it's it's statements with scriptures, but why? And the answer is because Jesus came on a mission. It was time. He'd been prophesied. Uh, all of God's most glorious creation, which was mankind that he made in his image, that as Kennard would say, was being made in his likeness, but was made in his image, had fallen. And, and they, they, they couldn't and wouldn't accomplish their purpose. So Jesus came on a mission with a purpose. I always noticed in the scriptures, and I finally started to tag them, the places where it says things like, for this purpose the Son of Man came. I came for this reason. For this reason the Son of Man was manifested. Um, Sometimes it's John speaking about what Jesus said. Sometimes it's Jesus speaking himself. But there are things like this, to destroy the works of the devil, to seek and save that which is lost, to lead lost sinners to repentance, um, to preach the kingdom, Basically, those are the things that I've found. Some of them are repeated, said the same basic thing in different words, but, but that's why Jesus came. And then Jesus left, and he said, but as the Father sends me, so I send you. So when I think about what's the point of all this, is the point for me to get saved? The answer is yeah. Because until I'm reconciled to Jesus, none of that happens, and God wants better for me than eternal separation. He wants me to be redeemed, reconciled. He wants me to be part of him forever. But that's not the end. That's barely the beginning. What happens next? That Next, what should happen is, I start to experience this transformation as the barbed wire comes off this ankle and the barbed wire comes off that ankle. And I start to look in the mirror, you know, metaphorically, and I see, wait a minute, I don't really cuss anymore wow, there's a little part of me that looks like Jesus. There's a little another part of me that looks like Jesus. A little another part of me. So, so the process of sanctification, of transformation from, from a, a caterpillar to a butterfly is happening. But also this mission has work to do. And so my answer to you as to why is because I think we can be more effective. We can be more fruitful. If we increase our devotion to Jesus, he can flow through us more. And um, yesterday with Patty was a destroy the works of the devil. That's what that was. That was Jesus's one facet of Jesus's mission, implementing through his body the works of the devil. And, and, and Satan's licking his wounds today because he had a piece of Patty that he doesn't have anymore. And there's certain things that he could 
get her to be tangled up in that would separate her thoughts from Jesus and, and her light from shining everywhere it could shine, and now we can't. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So I want to make a statement to you. I don't remember if I made it to you last week or not. If there's any part of my life, your life, that you perceive as being yours, that's wrong. You misunderstand your relationship with Jesus. No part of our lives is ours. It's his. I told you a little debate that Jeff and I were having, not debate, conversation about, you know, am am I a slave or am I a servant? Well, the answer is probably yes, but the important thing is mindset. How do you set your mind? How do you see your relationship with God in this new covenant that you have? Is it, well, he died so that I wouldn't have to go to hell and I could go to heaven? End of conversation. You don't see your relationship properly. You... Life, you life, <laughs> your life isn't yours. I mean, you need to say that. Say that in your mind. Almost like if, if you don't say it every day, you'll start to want to draw it back, right? But it's not yours. It was bought with a price. That's what the Scripture says. That's not just my opinion. That's what the Scripture says. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. If we think like that, then... God will have full use of us. Now, we, we might keep some of our life, you know, because, I don't know, Lord, I'm not sure that's you, you know. I, but if we're sincerely understanding and believing that we are this life, this life is a life of service. Probably the next life, too. But the primary reward comes then, not now. So if we set our minds to the fact that, Jesus, I'm your slave Whatever you tell me to do, I don't have a mind that would question it. I'm just going to do it. Well, you're the rich young ruler, and Jesus says, okay, you know, what must I do? That's what's his question. What must I do to, return, to, to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, just sell all your stuff, everything. Give it away. You have no possession at all. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me, and I'll give you treasures in heaven. And he said, no can't do it. Jesus said, okay. And off he went. I hope the guy repented, you know, at some point, and he understood. Well, did he tell me to do that? I don't think so. That wasn't my issue. That was his issue. Could be my issue. If, if I have an idol that's my wealth, then it has to go. Anything, 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 anything that exalts itself above Seeing yourself as a disciple of Jesus is something you need to do battle with. And you can't just like, la, 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 you know, I don't, you know. Because you'll be Paul kicking at the goats all the time. The, the, the guy's trying to get the ox to plow a straight road, but the ox wants to be himself. He wants to have his own will. He just wants to wander over here a little bit. So he gets a, you know, today it's electric cattle prod thing, right? But he gets that sharp poker into the back of his leg to Bring him back around. If we would just decide, I don't have any life at all, which is true. I don't own any possessions at all, which is true. Then Jesus can guide us wherever he wants. And we're not forever kicking against that poker to try to maintain little chunks of our life because I don't know why. That song that we sang, I think it was the first song that we sang. 
Yeah. Yeah, whenever I know that one's coming, I say, be careful. You need to know the words that you're saying. This is a grown-up Christian song, right? You need to understand. Let the winds blow. What, what am I saying to God? Or how about this one? Test me. Try me. Prove me. Refine me like to gold. Take a minute and think about what you just told God to do as you were singing that song, right? Refine me like to gold. That isn't a pleasant process for the gold, right? I'm going to hold on to this, Lord, but my life is yours. It's like, well, no, not that part that you're holding on to. And you might have to go into the fires of testing and trying. Um, Somebody said to me the other day, it's like, well, but the devil messes with me, but God doesn't test me. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure God does test you. You know, in the Old Testament, wandering around, wandering around, testing you, Abraham with Isaac, testing you, testing of your faith all for the purpose of making us to be like Jesus. But it's not pleasant all the time. And if we understand that, then the faster we get to plowing that straight row, the better we pass, the, or the sooner we pass the test, and you know, we, we can just go on and be fruitful to the Lord. So I, I love that song, but I understand. And I think God does too. You're saying, hey, I want to be like Jesus. And God says, what do you think that looks like? And we say, well, test me, try me, prove me, refine me like the gold. And he's like, gotcha, that's the only way. There is no, there is no way to become like Jesus that's not like that. The Bible says Jesus himself was perfected through suffering. He's the model. And, and he was perfect. He didn't have any corruption in him at all. Okay, so the concept of our or my life outside the context of disciple and kingdom, is part of our thinking and needs to go. And, and if my like wonderfully inspiring words haven't gotten you to that place, I would just say, start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and just read the New Testament with an eye towards if that's true or not. And it won't take you very long to bump into... Anyone who wishes to keep his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will gain life eternal. And you can't say it much more clearly than that. But he says it all kind of different ways. Okay, so I just wanted to, to kind of get back uh, a little, catching up from where we've come, a mindset that we have to develop if we haven't already, and then the answer to the what of having these more... Um, fellowshipping time together is because of Jesus and that we can be transformed faster and we can be more encouraged, more edified and be more fruitful for the Lord. All right, so we were at the point last week when I stopped where we were going to talk a little bit about um, looking at the early church. And I think generally... Home church was the rule and not the exception. Now, there's, there's times where you see that the Christians met in the temple or they might have met in the synagogue, but you, you see that they met in the, in the home of, um, I don't know how to say some of these names, Aquila and Prissa, or Prisca. I always said Priscilla, but it's not. It's P-R-I-S-C-A. They met in the home of someone named Nympha. They, they met in Philemon's home. Right? He got a whole one-page book of the Bible himself with his name on it, Philemon. 
they met in their homes. And then if you look at the little glimpses that we get into what, what Christianity was like with the very early, early church, like the people that were time-wise closest to Jesus, the people that were discipled by the apostles of Jesus. And you know, Hebrews kind of gives you the next generation where it says that uh, the Lord told them, and now they're telling us. So they would be kind of a second-generation people that are hearing from the first-generation people. You look and you get a sense for what probably the church ought to look like without regard to how long ago it was or culture or whatever. And these will be familiar scriptures to you, but I, I want to read them to you. I, I'm going to read two right now from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Chapter 2, starting in verse 42 through 47. They, the, the, the early church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then skip forward a couple chapters to chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, and, and, and hear again how they lived their lives in the Lord together. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. All things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. I don't want to keep talking about Stephen Shannon's sewer. But that is one beautiful example of that mindset in today's church. I won't tell you how much money is in there, but there's a lot of money in there. Stephen Shannon, when the ground thaws, I'm not telling you to stop giving. I don't think there's a whole septic in there yet. But there's a lot of money in there. Every one of those dollars you people could have spent on something for yourself. You could have, I don't know what, but you didn't because you didn't consider your stuff your own. You saw a need and you sacrificed for your brothers and sisters. And in Jesus, I'm so proud. I'm, I'm so blessed by that. That's a good example. There's a place where we can hang our hand and say, wow, Lord, you know, your, your, your word is manifesting in your church today. And, and it's awesome. But think about the things that are said in there. Now, 
they didn't necessarily, early, early church, have the scriptures that we have, right? They had the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. But the New Testament was literally being written. The, you know, the Ephesians would have a chunk of the New Testament when Paul wrote that letter to them, or, or the Colossians when Paul wrote that letter to them, or, you know, towards the end, uh, when the book of Revelation was written, they were gaining these things, and they, I think they treated them like Scripture. I'm not an early church historian, but they didn't have everything that we have. But now we have, I mean, on your phone, on your iPad, you could broadcast it to your TV and read Scripture. You could have a paper Bible. I mean, we have so much access that, that our, our process of growing should be so magnified and accelerated from them just because of the resources that we have available to us today. They spent their time together. They were in awe of God. They broke bread together. They shared meals. If you read um, Paul as he's, I, I, I want to say Acts chapter 21 or 17 verse 21, but somewhere deeper in the book of Acts, where Paul is, he's called the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet him. I think it's at Miletus, but who cares? But he's talking to them because he's thinking he's never going to see him again. And he talks about his ministry. And he said that he preached door to door Jesus. That he didn't leave any part of the gospel, no greasy gospel. He, he preached repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. And he's giving you a little window of what his apostolic ministry looked like. And you say, well, yeah, well, he was the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul didn't take advantage of the privileges that he had. He could have, in God, in his apostolic authority, demanded a salary so he could do his work, right? The worker is worthy of his wage. But he didn't. So he was bivocational, the Apostle Paul. He worked at his trade. He was a tent maker as he was going door to door, meeting on the Sabbath in the synagogue and preaching Jesus to all these people. He was devoted to Jesus. Not because he was an apostle, but because he was called and he had a grace and he understood what was done for him. And he was the guy that was persecuting Jesus. So anyway, it's interesting that they were devoted to the, the apostles' teaching, to learning. They were Devoted to being together. Um, a part of being together was breaking bread. They would pray together. The mindset was they had all things in common. I don't own anything. I, I'm just trying to get my arms around. I own a house. And selling my house so that somebody who had need. You know, maybe there's no medical care without money. And somebody's got some huge need. And we've prayed and... God didn't heal them. I mean, they have to go to the hospital and it's got to get paid for. That I would sell my house. Because, you know, in their, in their time, you could go to debtor's prison. I don't know what would happen to you. You know, I don't think you'd go to prison if you didn't pay your doctor bill. But that's the way they thought. That was the, the way their mind was set. That's the way they were introduced to Jesus and introduced to the kingdom and introduced to being a disciple was such that that's just how they were. They didn't consider anything to be their own. So, so those are examples of what's. And then there's a why. 
There's a bunch of whys. Why? Why, why did the, the Paul take that time and devote his life to make disciples? Why? Because that was his call. Why did they get together like they did? Well, the scripture says to stir one another on to love and to good deeds. That, that if, we, if we drift away, we're likely to drift away from our calling. We're likely to drift away from being devoted to being a disciple of Jesus. So we gather together frequently to stir one another to love and to good deeds, to being like Jesus to minister, to encourage, to edify, to equip one another, and to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ. Why? The Lord was adding to their number day by day. They were fruitful. They were, they were seeing people who were seeing them being added to their number day by day. How did they get like that? They were devoted to Jesus. What were the things that they did? They, they practiced fellowship. They practiced prayer. They were hungry to be taught and to learn so that they could emulate their Lord from how he taught the original guys. And people, disciples, were being added to their number day by day. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. For the love of Christ controls me, Pat Brady. For I've concluded this, that Jesus died for everyone. Therefore, now let me go back, that Jesus died for me. Therefore, I died. And he died for all, so that for this purpose, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So let me just read that again in the, in the Pat person. For the life of Christ, the love of Christ controls me. I've concluded this, that Jesus died for me, therefore I died. And he died for me so that, for this purpose, that I who live might no longer live for myself, but for him who died and rose again on my behalf. That's the mindset right there. The love of Christ controls me. And I'm not sure whether my recognizing how much Christ loves me controls me or because I recognize what he did for me, my love for him is so overwhelming that it controls me, I think either one. If you, you can pick, I think it's this, I say amen. That's a good reason. And you can say, nope, I think it's that, I say amen. That's a good reason. If it's because you know how much he loves you, great. Be dead and live for the one who died for you. If you think it's the other way, then I say, great. Be dead and live for the one who died for you. I'm at the point that says summary. That's like, I'm almost done. But I've had this thing a week. <laughs> Two weeks now. It didn't get much bigger. I, I'm, I'm pounding on this. You could ask Stephen Shannon. They'll, they'll tell you from when we sat down. I'm pounding on this because it's the mindset again. The mindset, my life is not my own. I live for Jesus. My life is in Jesus. Not saved in Jesus. Well, wait a minute, you got free will. I do have free will. I could walk away if I wanted to. But I want to become so intimate with the Lord. I want to be so in love with the Lord that, that there's nothing that Satan could offer me that would ever even get me to think about wandering away. I just want Jesus. I just want to see somebody get free from barbed wire like I got to see yesterday. I just want to see without any... I get no credit for anything. But I spoke words that God spoke to a guy in a dream the night before so that he would know that what he was hearing he needed to listen to so that he could be fruitful in the gospel. I want that. But if I don't, if I don't stay close, 
and someone's not watching me, I'll start wanting something else. This is kind of a long one. I'll just read it to you. Each individual is not the church, but a necessary... You get that? Like, I'm not the church. The church is all of us, right? The church is the reflection of Christ in his fullness. Am I part of the church? Yes, but I am not the church. I can't do anything without Larkin with me because she's my ministry partner. Each individual is not the church, but a necessary gifted part. The church is the collection of all the gifted necessary parts. We and the world will see the glory of Jesus when the individuals are connected and functioning as a body, the church. Now, I don't know how we get connected with the church in India and whatever for any particular individual, but my guess is that if we'll see ourselves the way the Bible shows us to be, that God will have a a, a right enough collection of pieces of Jesus that we can shine like a city on a hill and we can help people to be overcome in their sin and become reconciled to God and then to become like Jesus and become useful into his kingdom. But but when some of us don't, hey, I'm preaching to me, right? You know, I've been a Christian for, I don't know exactly when I got saved, but we could say 2020, maybe 19 years. I mean, you know, that's that's not nothing. That's 19 years, some people more. But, you know, I'm some of the stuff I'm just waking up to after 19 years, and I've been a pastor for 11 or 10 or 12 or something, right? Don't take as long as me, please. <laughs> Preach the kingdom. Seek and save that which is lost. Destroy the works of the devil. Preach the kingdom. Call lost sinners to repentance. Seek and save that which is lost. Destroy the works of the devil. I just the early church was incredibly fruitful. Acts two forty seven at the end again, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want that. By the thousands, three thousand the very first day. The, the, the anointing that was on Peter and the drawing, the grace that was on that massive crowd on the day of Pentecost. And Peter preaches to them and all of a sudden they were pierced to the heart. And they started to cry out, what must we do? What must we do? Man, I want that anointing. I want, I want to be that guy that... that that I could present Jesus, that I could represent Jesus, or all of us together could represent Jesus, and somebody would all of a sudden know. They would just know because they were they were experiencing the grace of God, and they would cry out, oh my gosh, like uh, Isaiah when he went into the throne room in Isaiah chapter 6, and he sees the actual glory, the holiness of God, and he's like, I am, what's the word? I am... I wanted to say S-C-R-E, but I know it's that, that word, even you know, with a bad translation. Somebody know what he says? Woe is me, I am lost, uh, I am a man of unclean lips. Essentially, he was like, he saw all of a sudden, I'm, I'm done, because 
I had no idea how filthy I was until I could see the most holy, perfect God. Acts 5, 14 through 16. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on... (laughs) What's that next word? (laughs) Cots. I'm not going to capitalize it because you don't diddle with Scripture, but I've had that vision. I've had that vision. You've heard it. They're in the grass over there. Their cars are parked in the spots. You're parked at, like, the restaurant parking lot on Silver Lake because you came here and it's like, the sick people got all the spots again. I've seen it. They laid the sick people. They're like, okay, how does Peter, this known Christian guy, how do we find him? Well, he walks from here to here this day. All right, where's what time of day? This time of day. Okay, the sun will be over there. I think, I think that that guy is so close to Jesus that if the sun is over there, I'm going to get over here and just his shadow touching me will cause me to be healed. Guess what? God is no respecter of persons. Every one of us is Peter. Every one of us is John. Every one of us is called. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out on the street and laid them on cots and pallets. I don't know where the church of pallets is, but I know right where they could bring them to cots. So that when Peter came by, at least his shadow, right? I might not be able to get him to pray for me or anoint me with oil, but if his shadow would just touch me, that by at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. You might think I'm nuts, but I believe this for right now. Right now. I think the difference, I don't know exactly what the difference is, but but I believe if Jesus had a church that was just like him, holy, set apart, devoted, no junk in the pipes that hindered the rivers of living water from flowing, that he wanted it then and he wants it now. Imagine, there's how many billion Christians in the world, like 1.6 billion Christians or something. Just think if we all actually read the Bible offered our lives to God in the way that the Bible says and believed what he said. Game over. Jesus had come. He'd be like, no need for a tribulation. I got them all. Yeah. I'm not telling you there won't be a tribulation. I know that that thing's coming. But but wouldn't he rather not tribulate as many, you know, rather just have them come and be part of his body, part of his wedding banquet feast? I read that whole thing? Jews were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Must have been a different dispensation. I say, almost said a bad word. I say no. I don't think so. I think that was the church, and I think this is the church. I think if we get together more, and we devote ourselves to prayer, and breaking bread together, and, 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 uh, helping each other to walk in holiness. And we were created in the likeness of God, in holiness and righteousness of the truth. 
and help each other to believe that and help each other to walk like that and help each other to pray and earnestly desire spiritual gifts and practice them, but it doesn't work. Practice them, but it didn't work. No, no, I have faith. I'm pleasing God because it doesn't matter if it works or not. It matters that I'm pleasing God with my faith. And then all of a sudden, that was the um, Francis Chan testimony. He was taught that God hasn't done that since the first century. He never planned to, never desired to. And that's what Francis Chan thought. But then he keeps reading his Bible, reading his Bible, and the Word of God is challenging the paradigm that he was taught. And he's like, but that isn't what the Bible says. So he started to practice it against all of his paradigms. And guess what he saw? Nothing. And guess what he saw? Nothing. Guess what he saw? Nothing. Guess what he saw? Glory. They all got healed. They all got delivered. The devils came out. What if he quit after the third nothing? He could have reinforced what he'd been taught. His doctrine was right. Except for he chose to believe what the Bible said instead of what the seminary guy said. And he saw it. You must... I can't remember how it starts. You must believe that God is, and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. Or if you're a King James guy, diligently seek him. If you're an ESV person, I can't help you. But, but you already know because you're an ESV person, and that's the best one. Um, so <laughs> what was happening to Francis Chan the time that it didn't, and the time that it didn't, and the time that it didn't? Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I don't know who said it, but the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Well, as his faith was tested, he had to hold his faith more and persevere and persevere and persevere persevere. And then all of a sudden, wow, it's true. It wasn't true except in one way before it was true in, in his experience. How was it true before that? By faith. Because he believed what God said. Okay. Acts 6 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. I think maybe some translations say multiply. Increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, so the, the, the Levitical priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. I think all this, all this is facilitated if we would commit ourselves to live our lives the way the Bible shows us how the church lived its life, when the church was multiplying itself, when, when disciples were being added day by day, when on the day of Pentecost, when the church, the Holy Spirit came down upon the church in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and thousands got saved that day. We all need to understand that to be that, to be a disciple, the way the scriptures define a disciple is costly. It doesn't come cheap. It's like, the Bible actually says that, that salvation is a free gift from God. So that's true, right? If that's what the Bible says, it's true. It's a free gift. Except it's the only free gift that costs you everything. If you're going to receive it right, it costs you everything. So, Jesus demands our entire 
devotion. That seems like a lot. But I can tell you from experience and I can tell you from faith that fruitfulness is glorious. And if we'll be willing to surrender ourselves, the glory is going to be in the bonds being broken and the sick being healed and the tormented being free from the torment. And and, and I, I think, this is just me, I think we're going to find out that depression, suicide, every bit of that is demonic. And when those demonic uh, chains are broken off of people, they're not going to need to have their brain diddled with by chemicals because the devil was doing it and the barbed wire came off and they were free. Couple, um, this is Old Testament. This is affirmed in the New Testament. Proverbs 17.3 The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests, tests the hearts. So we might deceive ourselves, but we never deceive the Lord. The Lord is not looking at our behavior. He's measuring our hearts. It says it in, I think it's Proverbs 21, it says it in 1 Thessalonians, and it says it in one of the Gospels. There's at least four places that God examines a person's heart. So if I went over there this morning, like, you know, to kind of help setting up the tables and stuff, and somebody had already dropped off cookies, and I ate the cookies, I didn't. I thought about it for a second. Who's going to know? God would know. But the point is, God's not going to send me to hell because I, I ate the cookies. Because he doesn't measure me against my behavior. He measures me against my heart. Did my heart leave God? Now i got a problem. But if my heart is repentant, if my heart is like, oh Lord, that wasn't a good thing for me to do. Somebody else might have wanted one of those cookies. He measures my heart. He measures your heart. I say all that because I want you to see the glory in the next scripture. Second Chronicles 16.9. Close your eyes and let me just read this one to you. Ready? For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Open your eyes now. Or keep thinking about that. Imagine that right now that God is just surveying the earth. Because he's got stuff that needs to get done. He's got this daughter. Her name is Patty. And she's in bondage. And he's looking. Now, this makes me the good guy. Larkin. It was Larkin. He's looking to and fro throughout the earth for somebody whose heart is saying, God, use me. I'm surrendered, Lord. I'm, I'm going to walk in holiness whose heart, he measures it and he sees, oh, there's a lot that say that, but that one, that heart right there is truly devoted to me. I'm going to give Patty Carter to that one. Or this, the grandson that I prayed for this morning that's struggling with addiction and other problems. You know, somebody, God's looking for somebody because there's a work of the devil right there. And I'm looking to strengthen, to anoint, to empower that heart that truly belongs to me. Say amen if you want to be that person. Amen. amen. Me too. It kills me 
that the power to destroy the evil of human trafficking exists in the church today. But God is looking for somebody who's going to stand in the gap and deal with it. Now, you know, he's probably found a bunch, but, but you get my point, right? For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I just read to you 2 Corinthians 5 and we'll go eat. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that for this purpose, that for this purpose, that's me, that's, you know, that's not the scripture, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So, all of the devotion to the what, to reading your Bible, to sitting and, and quieting yourself, that you might hear the voice of the Lord as he's using you to minister to someone or to just speak to you about who you are. All the devotions of, oh man, it's been a long, hard day at work and I don't want to go over to so-and-so's house tonight. They're wonderful, but I'm just so tired. But, but I made a commitment to this and I'm devoted. All the what's are just our expression of how we see the who, right? If we all said, amen, man, I want to be that guy, but, but you, or girl, you know, you be that person because you're committed, you're dead, and you're living, truly living to the one who died that you might live. Well, there's a big old long pause I'm going to have to clip out of the thing. I'm not sure how to say this. The more you seek me, the more you find me. The more you find me, the more I seek you, the more I find you. Right? You must be someone who believes that God is and he's a rewarder of those who seek or diligently seek after him. Uh, My eyes look to and fro across the earth looking for someone whose heart is completely mine that I might strengthen them. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. The more I love you, the more I seek you. I want to sit at your... This is our night. Well, no, we're not having a song. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, hear your heart beat. We do all those things because we desire relationship with Him. When we have relationship with Him, it increases our desire to do those things. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. But the first draw near is from us to draw near to him. He drew near, he sent his son. He accomplished his mission. He lived a perfect life. He became the absolute spotless, or he was. He never became because he never had a spot. He maintained being the spotless lamb of God offered for the sin of all mankind. None of this is going to work outside of relationship. None of it, you won't be devoted. Your life will draw you. You'll be like the seed that the soil with the thorns and the bushes and the cares of life and the desire for riches and things choked out that seed unless you make your mind set. 
that Jesus is your devotion. But what about my wife and my kids? I'm telling you, if Jesus is your, your devotion, your absolute goal, then your wife will be the most blessed wife on earth, and your children will be the most blessed children on earth. But when you seek Him and you find Him, you start to have relationship with Him. And as you start to have relationship with Him, His glory starts to become apparent to you. And, and then you seek Him all the more, and then the devotion isn't so hard because it comes from having a relationship with the one who is absolutely glorious. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Father God, I put one hand over me and one hand towards all these people. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to in no way be distracted. Like the scripture that says that, that like the devil did with Eve, that you will be drawn away from simple devotion to Jesus. Lord, if that's any of us, I pray that we turn and repent. And I ask, Lord, that, that you would increase our finding as we seek you. And then that cycle will start. And I can't imagine anybody who is devoted to that cycle of seeking and finding and loving will ever want to turn in any other direction, Lord, that we might be your church that shines like a city on a hill, that we might be your church that destroys the works of the devil, that the devil won't want to mess with anybody because your church is so glorious, it's a waste of his time. He's hoping that there's somebody on Mars that he can go diddle with. Because the people on this planet are untouchable because of the glory that emanates from your church, God. Help us to be that church, God. Help our brothers and sisters in every church to be that church, God. Not devoted to self, not promoting self but desiring only to see that you be lifted up and glorified in this world, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that your body radiates the glory of God just like you were the radiance of God on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.